Hi, I'm John. Hi, I'm Olivia. And I'm Genevieve. And this week, we're here to talk about Malcolm Reed and whether he's going to make us quit Star Trek. I am just here for the wisdom from Genevieve, honestly. Malcolm, to me, is sort of like white bread. I don't really know what... That's a very good read. Not That pun was unintended. Uh, <laughs> but that's a very good read. Well, hey. <laughs> I, I don't know how I should feel about him. He is mostly nothing to me. I'm sorry. He's... <laughs> well, he's mostly nothing. Like, that is his defining character trait, isn't it? Like... Uh, we were talking off mic that uh, we both read the uh, memory alpha page form and it's like truly shocking how many times a defining paragraph for him is he didn't really like this or he had no opinion one way or the other. It's um, I think the thing that always strikes me about Malcolm is that they had, they came up with basically an interesting character in two lines, you know, buttoned up stiff English English soldier officer, you know, naval soldier, Horatio Hornblow type. And then they Yeah, well it's interesting, it's only interesting if you show how that changes into something better. Like, you know, the whole like season one Julian is, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, arrogant wonder boy. That's a good point. And like Tom Paris, I would argue is the same way where like he is obviously a, a flawed character in the beginning, but like part of that is that you're supposed to see his growth. Yeah, and you get that with, I mean, in TNG, arguably, you get that with, I think, Worf, possibly. I don't know. If you, yeah. Worf comes into his own in the movies and in Deep Space Nine, I feel like. Well, Worf personally, I think Worf never come, comes into his own because I remember this is a Worf Sucks podcast. Yeah, okay, I don't know if Worf has is any Worf, growth in DS9. The thing about Worf is I know he sucks. I, I know he sucks, but I love him. I love him a little... But he just sucks. You can he see him as just a sort of charming, grumpy boy. But also, he I, sucks. He also He's also kind of okay with military dictatorships. He's also who sort of misogynistic. I mean, who isn't? And a war criminal. Who isn't? <laughs> Who is it in Star Technically, Trek? James Kirk. <laughs> Technically, if you're going to follow the lists of people who've committed war crimes, Kirk is the only one who hasn't. That can't be true. Has it? No, yeah. I think it is. Like, I... Archer, we know what Archer did. Um, sure. Cisco, obviously. Janeway has, Janeway's nuked about two. Janeway's <laughs> Janeway, I love Janeway, but she has committed war crimes. <laughs> Picard, um, actually, I don't think Picard's committed any war crimes. Yeah. And Kirk, you know, Kirk is on several occasions actively, you know, gone beyond the call of duty for like not attacking ships when he should have. You know, you know what? especially in Rafa Khan, for example. But yeah, Kirk, I don't, if anyone can give me a Kirk war crime, drop us a message at Quit Star Trek Pod on Twitter. Anyway, it was, back it to, was a war crime every time he broke Spock's heart, okay? Moving wow. On. <laughs> That's perhaps a crime against humanity. Different <laughs> legal definitions. But where were we? Um, yeah, the thing Don't about Malcolm is that they just sort of... Okay, let's start, actually. I'm going to read the original 
serious Bible description of Malcolm Reed. Ready, everyone? Reed was oh, characterized as British, male, late 20s, armory officer. In the new age of humanity's enlightenment, Reed is a bit of a throwback. He's a 22nd century soldier, all spit and polish and by the book. His hair is cut razor short. He maintains a rigorous daily schedule. When he isn't on duty, he's working out on some kind of futuristic exercise apparatus he keeps in his quarters or toiling at the munitions lab, perfecting some kind of new torpedo. Reed has always tried to expand its weapons inventory, storing ammunition in parts of the ship dedicated to engineering. Reed is filled with contradictions. Despite his near obsession with regulations and munitions, he's also soft, spoken, shy, and awkward around women. When testing a new photon weapon, he's liable to put on a pair of space age earplugs because he doesn't like loud noises. Oh, God. <laughs> so, I mean, basically, it's just, you know what's interesting? It's, this is basically the same, like, character personality types as, like, the original Chris Pike. Yeah. Like, it's the same, you know, he's obsessed with regulations and the job, but he's shy and awkward around women and not good with his per- interactions with other people. It's uh, once again the Horatio Hornblower type, but okay. And Jack, like it's been a minute since I've delved into the Horatio Hornblower series, but correct me if I'm wrong. Horatio Hornblower fucks, right? Yes, Malcolm Reed doesn't fuck. Once a book, he fucks. Yeah, like I mean, Horatio so- Hornblower's level of fuckery comes to he has a, he marries his landlady's daughter out of pity. And then she died, and then her and her son, her and his son die of smallpox. Does Malcolm he... does Malcolm Reed never have a relationship in the entirety of Enterprise? He's mentioned as having one in Shuttlepod One. No, that fake girlfriend. Of, no, that, those all ended before <laughs> the show started. He that's like a joke. That's like a running joke. There is literally a joke in you know the episode. There's an, okay, Olivia, do you mind me spoiling the expanse for you? Just one mm. episode. Okay, but it's really funny. If we don't talk about it, I'm going to be mad. Yeah, Olivia, are you there? Yeah, okay, I'm back. What happened? Okay, do you mind me spoiling one episode of The Expanse to you? Yeah, do it, fuck it. Okay, there was an episode of The Expanse where they encounter the NX-01 that got thrown back in time and then was waiting for a century for them. So it's like two generations on. So it's like there's Trip and T'Pol's son. You need to see how disgusted I am. What? Yeah, they're like Trip and Paul's son and descendants of other people and like old Paul is still alive. But also <laughs> there's literally a bit where Malcolm and Travis and Trip are sitting around talking about all the descendants and uh, Travis goes, so are there any little Malcolm Reeves running around? And Malcolm Reeves goes, I didn't see any. And they all sort of look at him and go, are you sure? And he's like, no, I don't think there's any. I guess I didn't marry anyone. Oh god. So and like sad. he's the only one who doesn't get married. It's how is it's that like possible? He's like the only person. It's already like a weird incestuous ship I mean, and he still is, couldn't get anyone. It is a ship that is majority male. Oh yeah, because there's how many females? It's like thirteen. It's like it's a third of the crew, I think I believe is women. And uh everyone on Enterprise canonical okay. It's a very straight show. And, okay, if you want bad things, which like, is that, they, the, that was like I think mentioned, they're like, well, you couldn't have had everyone end up with someone. Yeah, maybe that was even gay the Malcolm t- confirmed. You're welcome. It is everyone. literally gay Malcolm confirmed. But on that point, side note about there only being a third of women, 
the TOS Enterprise in the Writer's Bible have a higher percentage of women aboard. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that makes sense because I think it's... I think that the conceit was that because the Enterprise whole thing of... Uh, we're not, they're not as advanced. Like, they're not at this, like, utopia post-scarcity point yet that things are just, like, a little bit worse overall from, like, a society standpoint and part of that is uh i think i mean i sort of do agree that i don't think we're going to solve sexism in the next 150 years i just don't think that's going to happen yeah i'm i'm not optimistic so <laughs> so i we would i would be there to be i would be there to have my take confirmed with mine and i'm not going to write it down or say it out loud so i can't be proved wrong by a historian either fuck that's you but yeah, I mean, it's kind of like that is a game I could confirm them that they literally basically they don't quite lean on the fourth wall much as they knock through it and put in some sliding doors. It's like, yeah, hmm, I wonder why Malcolm didn't have any children. Huh. Well, and they also the time where he does talk about um, his past relationships. He straight up says, I never was close to literally any of them, which is why when he sends them his death dear john letter they're all the exact same form letter just the name change that's hilarious but also tragic yeah and then he's like the only place i've ever felt like family is enterprise but like do you though you see it's kind of like is it that we just don't see malcolm's friends because they're not on screen but also i feel like he just doesn't have any friends they make it very clear they make it very clear he has no friends except for the ones on Enterprise. Like, they call his best friend, and he's like, yeah, I know nothing about him. That's, That's so, so sad. That's so upsetting. <laughs> he can't even remember what he ate. It's like... Does he even have, like, an emergency contact? No, I feel like his emergency contact is trip. <laughs> That's, no, that doesn't work. That doesn't work, Malcolm. There was also a part of uh, the Star Trek Bible for this show where uh, they describe Reed as the antithesis of Trip Tucker in every way. Um, that sounds like the start of a slash fic. It does. <laughs> and it also describes why I hate him so much. <laughs> because Trip was like baby's first like human crush. Like, did I have, did I want to fuck Hey Arnold? Absolutely. Like Zuko, <laughs> I did have a major crush on. But like, as far as like on a live action show, an adult human man, my like first crush was Trip. Uh, and like my first like ship was Trip into Paul. Okay. Uh, and so, and so Reed was just everything I didn't want <laughs> in like a neat little package. And I'm glad to have it confirmed that that literally was his character. It's. It's kind of like, what's, it's like, what's his deal? I mean, like, Don Keating once said that he could, he saw himself in in Reed because he could be shy around women. And, you know, Keating planned at 17 to leave school and immediately go into the army. And as Keating remarked, he's, he's like, he he's slightly naive about going into space, exactly as I was. The more I look at him, the more I see that I actually can be him. 
I'm sorry. His early story sounds like the makings of a serial killer. I <laughs> can we talk about his childhood because I would love to talk about it. Yeah, what but happened? His parents, man? his parents. I can't. I just can't believe that someone broke British him early bo- on. Okay, here's I can't the thing: the British boomers are still around in the year 2217. Like I thought, we'd have killed them all. <laughs> I thought we'd have stopped this by now. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um as Brits yourself, would you say that Malcolm Reed is either an accurate depiction of a British man, or would it be more accurate to say that he's an American stereotype of a British man? Latter. That's what I've always... He's not even a good depiction of, like, a a British posh boy, or, like, a British career, like, British career naval officer. I, he just, I couldn't place where he would be in reality. So there you like go. Where would he be from? Like, where in England would Malcolm be from? Because he's not a Londoner. He's clearly not a Londoner. No. He wouldn't uh, survive in my a day. Essay, I, there is a... He gave a quote that was like, where... Because he doesn't use his real accent. He changes yeah. it. Because Tommy be like, from fucking... The Midlands, I think, isn't he? Yeah, he is. No, so he's from I Leicester. Yeah, he's from Leicester. Yeah. From the Midlands, yeah. He like purposely changed it to sound more like what an American would expect to hear from a British posh person, I guess. Um, but no, his backstory is that his parents were like very strict and he comes from a naval family. And like something I don't understand is I mean, I guess I get it, but we theoretically have world peace. But there's still a Royal Navy. I mean, oh, okay, it, so... The Queen, so we still have a monarchy and we still have a Royal Navy. Is that generally confirmed? Okay, my general headcount is that the Royal Family's still floating around, even in, like, DS9 areas, just because basically God. nobody knows what to do with them anymore and they have no, no constitutional powers. They just basically live in Buckingham Palace. It's like, hey, did you know, one, did you know all the Earth still has a monarchy? Really? Oh, it's pub queen. It's what is a... Question on Quark's pub quiz. That's what the royal oh family. My God. That's who Ma- they so are. Malcolm's Malcolm's family are basically probably some weird cults that are still like very, very. Well, well no, it's implied that the royal navy is significant enough that they still have submarines. Yeah, <laughs> they, but not, they have nuclear submarines specifically. Well, yeah. And they like come up with some convoluted reason for why his uncle died in action, which is that. <laughs> They ran into... They hit a mine off of India. They ran into an old landmine from, like, leftover from World War II. Yeah, basically what what happened was that the HMS Clement, okay, I'm looking at it here, hit a mine leftover from a world war, was trapped under an ice shelf, so his his great-uncle sealed himself in the engine room to keep the reactor online so that the rest of the crew could abandon ship. No wonder this man freaks out and gets completely existential whenever something even goes mildly wrong. If that's his family's backstory. Yeah. I mean, it's well, also... also uh, he's also... like The reason he doesn't join the Royal Navy... And here's the thing, is they could have just made it that he wanted to go to space instead. That's a perfectly reasonable... Like, if that's the conflict is that he liked the spa- wanted to go exploring and his parents wanted him to do something traditional, that's fine. But they make it that he's scared of the ocean and that's I why he can't the it's world. kind of ridiculous. They're trying to do the whole, oh, Nelson got seasick thing, right? Because historically, Lord Nelson got seasick. 
and you know England's greatest seafarer like genuinely he doesn't doesn't, like he he got seasick so he got the fuck out it would be like if uh that character went and just became a land general instead yeah it would be funny because they'll they'll, no that wouldn't happen yeah i just i just i also i can't imagine being a father in a time when you know aliens exist and hearing that your son uh decided to go into space and be like the armory officer of the flagship of the first well they didn't know he was an armory officer they don't know they didn't yeah we find out in silent enemy that his parents don't know what he does on the enterprise what they're just so (laughs) they're like they're just pissed that he didn't join the royal navy so they're just completely unconcerned with what he does i I mean to be fair i think malcolm is an unrealistic british person but his parents are very realistic British people. Wow. Yeah, I feel like- And just complete yeah. disdain. I've met Malcolm's parents. They've been the friends of my, they've been the parents of my friends. And those people suck. And that's how you end up with children who end up just like their parents, who suck. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, I just, I'm still on the, like, why do they go for, not having there be a direct conflict with Malcolm wanted to be like, you know, g- going to the future and him still being a stick of tradition. Like, it's a fun shtick to have that they sort of lean on where Malcolm, you know, it's like, I want to be the Royal Navy officer in space. And he goes and discovers he's working with like doohickey scientists who bodge everything together with duct tape. He's like, hi, what the fuck? Right. But they sort of Aren't do a little really bit just of. like, Archer is the George Bush of, like, military people. We're like, yeah, he tactically served, but he was just a good old boy, you know? And here's his Florida man engineer. Yeah, well, I I mean, at least Florida man engineer is cool. Sorry? (laughs) At least Florida man engineer is good at his job. That's true. Like, if we're talking about working class icons in Star Trek, Trip Tucker learned how to be an engineer by fixing engines he saw to the store. That's true. I um there's that one episode where Archer invites him to breakfast because he's like, I'm trying to get to know you more. And like, here's the thing is Reed isn't just like a guy on this ship, he's like a bridge officer. And it seems completely reasonable, even from a purely military standpoint, the idea that you should like want to have a rapport with the bridge staff that you spend all of your time with is not that unreasonable. And no, it's beyond, it's not just, unre- it's not unreasonable. It's it's, it's a difference between life and death that you you know your officers and they trust you. Right, he treats and it like it's a Downton Abbey like affront. Like he's like, I shouldn't be here at all. But also that's kind proper. of stereotypical because if he was in the Navy, he knows that this is a thing that Royal Navy captains did all the time and do do all the time. Especially with bridge officers, you want to know. You want to know who exactly. your commissioned officers are because you're going to be relying on them. You want to know what their strengths and weaknesses are. Like a bad captain is one who doesn't know what's going on with his officers. You know, he might. It might be things that say, aren't his business. But when I say that he's like an American stereotype of a British person, that's what I mean. That like. There's so much media that's just, that um, is made by Americans for Americans where the conflict, and even if it isn't directly, 
it's a British versus American thing. They'll have it be the villain that has a British accent, be like too uptight and like too by the book, too rulesy. And that will include not wanting to get to know anyone and being like cold and impersonal. And I feel like they just like projected that on to him. Yeah. Not entirely unfair. <laughs> but, but it's, it's not very, it is it is English person written by non-English person. So you could have had a character like Mark could be written by an English person. But you end up with Mark from Peep Show. Oh yeah. That's but this sort of you end up with there's no nuance to his uptightness. Yeah, that's true. Like it's not clear whether it's a well. No one in Enterprise had any nuance. I'm sorry, no, they didn't have Mal- time to add. Travis that. didn't no, even have not... a personality. Yeah, Topol kind of had nuance. Topol had nuance because Jolie Ballop. I was about to say it was Beta entirely had had nuance because, You know, when we um, just side note, because I know you are um, you are the international Jolie Ballop deserved better <laughs> spokesperson. I love her so much. She's the best. But I was watching. We watched the use of the Voyages for our fiftieth. And watching her act of that, it's like, holy shit, she's good. Like, holy shit, with Topol, do you get the whole, not Vulcans have no emotions, they just suppress them? hmm Like, she does that, she gets that. She's great. She's so good. But, yeah, it's like... But also, sometimes I wonder if the reason, half the reason that the Enterprise actors have no personality is they, were, they weren't allowed to create any. Well, there was this, um, let me see if I can find it, which is that um, what there was, was something having... in the, in, it's somewhere on the memory album page, basically it's um, talking about how the character was written and Brandon uh, and, oh, sorry, Berman and Braga are both uh, like he's just so interesting like by the end of season two he was just jumping off the page we just thought that there was like so much we can do with him he's so dynamic and then there's like a quote immediately after from Keating just being like yeah I thought that like maybe stories about Reed could wait I thought yeah. maybe they could wait here it is which is uh, um at the end shortly after the start he said um Brandon Braga said by the end of the season Season one, we could discover that Reed is really jumping off the page. It's hard to say. Um, Dominic Keating said at the time, just after Enterprise launched, there's plenty of time for us to look at Reed down the line. I'm Braga sorry. Braga observed no. about Reed. He's had some great stuff to do in terms of action, but we're only set this with them to dig a little deeper, and I'm not sure exactly where we're going to take him. Sorry. We have no after, idea. after season one, though, yeah. not even Archer was jumping off the page after season one. I barely knew anyone. Hey. I don't think any character in that. The only. Remember that episode when Travis got a personality and then they forgot about it? Uh, When was this? He goes back. He goes back to Karen's shit. Is it Horizon? Yes, the Horizon. He goes back to Horizon and he gets a personality for an episode. Oh my gosh. I I just. I just want my show Boomers, which I talk about every time you let me on. Which is that I think that if we're going to keep making a million Star Trek series, we should make a prequel to Enterprise about young Travis and uh, what's his name? Um, who is the actor? Um, Travis Mayweather. Anthony dad. Montgomery. Anthony um, Montgomery's Anthony Montgomery can play Potter, his own dad. So he should be back on television. Yes, I just want it's going to be called Boomers, topical. 
Um, and it's going to be about living on a cargo ship on like a warp two ship and like they could make it a kids trip. They could do it. The, they could do it like the Wonder Years. If you want a companion to play, it's got Dulé Hill in it. It's good. They could do it like the Wonder Years. They could have Travis. And it's like a non-Starfleet. It'd be cool as fuck. I would they, like it. They could have Travis narrating his childhood like the Goldbergs. Yes, sure. I'd watch it. Anyway, Everyone. no one has ever said I want a prequel series about Malcolm Reed because that would be the most depressing shit imagined. <laughs> oh, the fun most fact, depressing you know, and boring. In one of the like, books, the reason Malcolm Reed has acrophobia is that a, a school bully tried to drown him in a fountain. Oh my yes. god! You, okay, you know what? I came into this thinking he's a boring person, but now I'm like, we need to give this man a break. What's going <laughs> on? He needs to be nurtured and cared for. <laughs> <sighs> Would you like something very fruity? Yes. Sorry. Um, so um, Dominic Keating auditioned for um, a role in Voyager. And mm. Berman was like, hmm, I can't have you for this role, but I think you're right for something else. So Berman kept um, a picture of Mark of Reed of Dominic Keating on his desk for a year. Longer than a year. He just did a picture of Dom Keating on his desk. Okay, let's unpack. Well, that. like Voyager ended in what 2001? 2000. 2000. And so it had to have been at least a Five year. years? Wait, when did Enterprise no, start? Well, no, because this was he auditioned for the role before in the very when Berman and Braga were in the very early stages of writing Broken Bow. Gotcha. So this this image, this picture was just on his desk for years. Yes. Beautiful. <laughs> Romantic. I just, because like, here's the thing is Malcolm Reed does have an arc, but I mean, the thing that he learns is to be a little bit more chill. Like, just marginally. Every marginally more every chill. Star Trek is a character who needs to learn to be more chill. But that's all, like, the other things, because he does serve a narrative function, but it's other people, like, I think there's something to be said for, even though I am not someone who's like super into the military parts of Star Trek, um, I do think that like he had a point and that was like a sort of interesting, especially like when it first came out in the early 2000s. Um, and it was right after 9-11, it was right after we were thinking about going back into the Middle East for you know, the next round 20 years. three, technically. Well, I would be like, is that round, technically round three? Um, if you count, if you count the Gulf War bombings in the late 90s, yeah. Let's say, let's go with round three. Going back for round three, um, it was sort of interesting to watch sort of the counter argument to like the general like Star Trek ethos of like, we only fight when we have to. And like, not that they were like going looking for a fight by any means. But the fact that they had these expectations that most species that they met would be friendly, you know, that they were mostly going to be scientists and explorers. And then they like got thrust into war. I thought that like that was actually something interesting that they did with Archer, especially in season like late season three, early season four. Like in the episode, Homie's on that mountain and he's talking to Hernandez and he's like, I did not want to be as military as we became. But also, I don't know how to move forward if we're not a military like this. 
and like having to reconcile those things. And I think like Malcolm Reed plays an important role in that conversation. And that's the only interesting thing about him. It is part of the, um, it's in front of me now, the Star Trek Federation first 150 years book. There's a great bit where there's a quote from Matt Decker, you know, of Doomsday Machine, where he says, um, I'm starting to believe that we come in peace only matters if they know we can kick their ass. Mm. <laughs> and it's, that it's a conflict that Malcolm is one side of the conflict between that attitude and the sort of more Jim Kirk, you know, they're not going to believe we come in peace if we just tell them we can kick their ass. Well, and also it plays into something I really like about Enterprise, which is that they are the underdogs. Whereas in every other, arguably not in TOS, but like a bit, which is that in every other Star Trek, uh, the Federation and Starfleet is like at least equally matched with most things it comes into contact with. And is like definitely way more advanced than us. Whereas like in Enterprise, a big point is that they are like in the very shallow end of this space. A very deep thing. pool. Yeah, it's, it's a very deep pool. The and galaxy so, like, in Enterprise is really fucking dangerous, you know. It is a like, well, so, it's a galaxy where like th- there are, you know, the Vulcans are the big power, but there are still people they don't fuck with where being kidnapped and sold into slavery is stuff the thing that can happen to you. Where you come, where the Klingons just regularly sap tribute from everyone, you know, where there's just a bit of the galaxy you don't go because space is a bit fucky. And you know, right. with the Romulans, just no one knows what they are, but they keep killing people. Like, how even- often does Picard, like, can Picard not fight someone? Like, there's a lot of episodes where the Enterprise loses a fight or they have to run away or they only get saved because someone bigger comes to help. Or and they so work like, with other people. Right. So like the military aspect in those circumstances is I think more interesting than it would have been on any other like than Worf, you know, let's say being like, oh, we need to upgrade our weapons or something. Like that doesn't have the same impact as I think it does. I mean, it's on like that's a great like I watch Silent Enemy as perhaps this. And I love Silent Enemy for three reasons, which is that you know, we have this whole scene of art to try to do this nicely, and that the guys, the other aims just aren't interested in that. They, they, they want to they cut, dissect everyone, so they have to go for the military option. And we also get a scene with like a torpedo room, and the torpedo's going into the thing. And maybe, it, maybe it's because I haven't got to that, like, what is it? What are their names? The, Zindy, the arc, the Zindi arc, yeah. But I still don't really understand what Archer's sort of personality is. Oh, no, don't worry, him. he doesn't get one. Okay, but but you're you're like suggesting that he's like the one who was you know pushed he's pushed to war, he's mostly just trying to get by and establish the federation. Archer doesn't have a personality, but I think what he does do relatively well is be a sort of he's an archetype stand-in. Yeah, that's the problem. He's just an archetype. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have a personality of his own, but at least. He's, he has a set of values that I think are clear enough and codified enough that like he's a decent thing to put in a situation to have a like moral or philosophical argument. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't think, like at least I have found interesting plot lines with Archer where that happened. And I would not say, like, I feel like Ma- uh, Malcolm's, the same version of that where he doesn't have a personality but he serves a plot function it's so one note like he can only be used for that one thing like how military should star trek be and that's his only thing 
or how fatalistic he is. Another character that have to convince him that he doesn't need to he needs to get a grip. <laughs> like when he gets pinned under that minefield is a great episode. That was yeah. insane. But he just is basically like, well, no, I guess so I need to die now. And I, and he and he's melodramatic, so you don't feel bad for him. I, I know it was a dire situation, but just see what would be more British though would have been if he'd be repeatedly insisting that he was fine no yes. nothing to worry about while his blood literally seeps out into the vacuum that's the that's that would have been British if he was like I'm absolutely fine don't worry about me captain don't where worry is about his keep calm out. and carry on attitude because he doesn't as much have as it. that's like a stereotype British people are just like that <laughs> don't want to make a fuss don't want like, to like, be a bother like whenever anyone's like, oh, why? How are the, can the public tolerate, you know, the level of COVID like hospitalization deaths that we have over the last year? It's basically because in this country we are psychologically tuned to just never make a fuss. It's a we'll just assume it'll sort itself out. It's and that would have made Malcolm hilarious and enjoyable if like. He That's the thing is you could Jeopardy. have the good parts of Malcolm and give him a personality like this. Ab- absolutely no reason why not and they just like chose not to for some reason okay and i think yeah if we're talking about things they should have done and not to, i think we have to talk about the um the homosexual in the room which is why the fuck wasn't malcolm gay i mean i, mean, I know that it fucked he, up everything about him was yeah was. Rick Berman they was told us as, as they could they told yeah. us as much as they could i mean i know for real that if they made him canonically gay in the year 2001 it would have aged about as well as milk in the sahara desert yeah, but you don't think that Brandon ba- uh, what was his name Brandon Braga? Is that yeah? yeah. Brandon Braga and Rick Berman wouldn't have sensitively written a gay British man in the year two thousand two. I listen. They could have called Russell T Davies on the phone, and it would have been very easy. Uh, I mean, God forbid the show where we have like an openly gay character is the Berman at the helm one we don't need to see that we didn't need I to just, experience that pain i do it's, just love that dom keating is just unrepentantly like yes malcolm was gay if he wasn't gay then what was this all for <laughs> i mean it's the, just the audience to be aware not, genevieve is currently eating all of out of the jar it's the uh greek mix they're pre-seasoned so Oh, very nice. Well, I didn't want to... I was going to eat chips and salsa, but that'd be crunchy. This is an audio format. Do you know it's not going to come up on this microphone? Nice squishy olive. Can't, can't argue with that. Can't argue with that, folks. Thank that you. You're welcome. Sponsored by those olives. Um, but uh, there was that scene in Shuttle Pod 1, which is an insane episode. We'll get back uh, to it. <laughs> Where, where in Malcolm's dream, and I feel like we're given to believe that this is a semi-regular dream for him. He's in sick bay. To Paul comes, and like okay, three crazy things happen at once. Number one, uh, she starts like coming on to him, uh, to Paul, to Malcolm, who's in a sick bay, uh. <laughs> Two, um, Malcolm refers to her bum at some point. No, that's after he's describing the story is that she has yeah. a nice bum. Hmm. Um, but then to Paul calls him stinky. 
And that like turns him on. She's like, yeah, call me stinky again. That was honestly one of the worst moments of my life. Uh, The fact that I had to watch that was like, that was a war crime in and of itself. You even Um, bring that up is like, I really stuff that deep down. It's just so aggressively like, he's not gay, he wants to fuck the lady. (laughs) It's insane. I find it tragic that British society is still so conservative that he can't come out in the year 2151. Don't do that to us. That is actually part of, I think, my issue with Malcolm Reed is obviously there is like an undercurrent of sexism to pretty much all Star Trek. uh, Arguably not as much with the more recent era, but like, especially in the TOS through Enterprise, it was always there. Um, And like, a character like Tom Paris, like I don't think a character like Tom Paris is ever going to completely leave. Like, there's always going to be people that are powerful, and they're always going to have shitty kids that rebel and do things that are stupid and get like second, third, and fourth chances, and are like arrogant pieces of garbage until they meet a hot lady that could beat the shit out of them, and then they learn to be a wise guy. Like that, that archetype is always going to exist, no matter how post scarce. No, so long as there are people with power, there will have there will be people. Who have shitty right. children because of that. And I don't think, honestly, that's a fault of people in power. Sometimes when your dad is. Right. I just think it's like it's dick. gonna happen. But like, I would like to have believed that by the time we get to interacting with hundreds of other species that developed on other planets, that we've like moved beyond people like Malcolm Reed. And maybe that's too optimistic of me but like I would hope that like at the very least if that guy still exists he's not Starfleet's finest like no one's looking at a guy who has like his level of thinking about the world and it's like that's who should be our ambassador to the stars well I sometimes want okay so what I would my theory about Malcolm is that Malcolm was put with the Enterprise D Enterprise LXO1 Enterprise D because someone in Starfleet went, um, that, that artifact, I've got no clue what he's doing when it comes to military things. Oh, he has some Royal Navy training. Chuck him on the ship. I know this is why I think the Malcolm would have made a lot more sense as a character as well if he'd been in the Royal Navy and then he'd been detached from the Royal Navy and put into Starfleet because yeah. Starfleet went to the Earth government. We need people with military yeah. training and experience. So they went around um, and selected volunteers from various Earth navies. Well, because they sort of did that um, with the Makos in season three, which I thought was actually an interesting plot line. Yeah. Um, Where they had them, like, had the military have to interact with Starfleet. And, like, so much of Malcolm's good points sort of, like, you could have done with that. Yeah, you could have, like, combined those... Uh, well, you could have still had the makers. You could have had it being that in the two years he's been in the years he's been with Starfleet and on the ship mm-hmm. with Archer, he's changed his views, mm-hmm. and he's got to now convince the makers that to come around as well. I don't know. I fear any situation where Malcolm has too much credibility, <laughs> and how he how an insecure man wields his like credibility or knowledge is just yeah, I'm an disastrous. Man. I re- I I utilize tr- my you know intellectual list for good i think 
I don't like hearing you compare yourself. Yeah. To yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I retract that statement. <laughs> We're lifting you up from that. I mean, here's the thing: is the cardinal sin of Malcolm Reed that he's not even that fun to hate. Like, at least Neelix, there's like a carnal pleasure in making fun of him. Making fun I of just, Neelix is meant like making fun of Tories. Right. Making fun of Malcolm, like, his biggest sin is that he's boring. <laughs> it, well, that's, it's once again, it's Enterprise's biggest sin. Enterprise's mm. biggest sin is that it's boring and it's hey. tired. And it took what should have been a really fun, interesting, and different look at Star Trek and made it just kind of both savey while also taking interesting confidence and not going very far with them. I think Enterprise is pretty good sometimes. Well, it's like, I mean, okay. I'm going to now have a small round, which is that I think that the Enterprise aesthetic could have been so much more fun and different. I think it was different compared to, like, like Voyager TNG DS9 in terms of, like, the vibe was different. Like, the way that it was set up was different. It was definitely more of, like, um, uh, small. It was a small ship. They were the underdogs. Like I don't know. I was fine with how different it was. I think that was different enough. I mean, I would have preferred if the same people weren't running it. It's it, just, looks... it should have been a bit more like um. Okay, I think that the NX01 is a sexy ship. I think she's my favorite Enterprise. I would have been happy with the NX01 if they given her a if they given her that um engineering hole that they wanted to give her the refit one mm-hmm. I think I'd have been happy with her she just looks very flat she's I'd... sleek, she's not flat like okay. me she looks like she got squashed <laughs> like she got run over by a bus shaming <laughs> I'm not shit sh- oh, like I'm shit shaming, yes uh-huh. anyway the ship is more interesting than Malcolm Reed yeah the ship is more interesting than Malcolm Reed mm-hmm. You're talking about like my overall view of Enterprise, and it's my fault for being in the stasis still, but it hasn't impressed me in a big way yet. Like in that big, like classic, this is Star Trek way that gets me really excited. I'm sorry. Seasons one and two, I would describe as perfectly adequate Star Trek. You know, there's a couple episodes that they get the job done. They they're like an average. I would I would compare it to like TOS in terms of like. There's some episodes that are not great. There's a lot of episodes that are just sort of there, but there's a couple of episodes really like, like, like um, there's you know, one Fox episode is... that I really loved, and that was like, yes, that's the moment, and then it hasn't happened again. So. It's like Doctor's Which one orders. Did you really like? No, Dear Doctor, that's good. Yeah, I think it was that one. The one where he's yeah, got the two cool. species on a planet. Yeah, he's chewing the medical care from. I don't know yeah. what he's doing. Yeah, that one. Do- Dear People Doctor's hate. Good. Okay, we should talk about that episode because it's divisive and I feel like in terms of like controversial episodes that is not brought up nearly enough. Why would the doctor be oh well he does commit he does he does let her commit genocide? Well he doesn't commit genocide it is oh god don't don't ruin it that's all I had he commits genocide I don't remember now is it genocide or is it I thought he saves everyone that's my memory of it Oh, okay. But it's like, is it, is it or not? Well, genocide. I'm thinking, oh, I'm thinking actually Dear Doctor is the one I'm thinking. Yeah, of. I'm thinking Dear Doctor too. We're all thinking of Dear Doctor. We're all thinking of Dear Doctor. Anyway, good episodes. Dear Doctor's good. Um, Andorian Instant, good. Ceasefire, 
good. The Van Dorian incident is great. The uh, Sanctuary of Pajem is good. Yeah, that's um, a Dorian incident. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. Oh, but then again, Shadows of Pajem is also good. Yeah, but is that, I think that might be later. Yeah, season two. season two. Okay. Season two. Um, the... Season three is very specific, and I don't think, I think as a whole, it's pretty good. I think it has some highs and lows. It has some very serious flaws. But if you can just... If, Would you yeah, have chosen... But if you had the that. option of season three or two season or two seasons of season four style arcs, you'd pick Oh, season one. four is a masterpiece. I think season four uh, of Enterprise is probably my third favorite season of all Star Trek. Season four of Enterprise just is good it's just exceptional and i don't think it's got a bad episode no i don't think it does well, doesn't i think it has some bad moments maybe but like overall well, like, well it's the orion episode that's fucking nuts is that season four yeah you're telling me season four is basically flawless apart no, from the episode right, of the orion right, season four <laughs> the orion episode is season four it's the one that i got I fear it. Is there I a Ferengi it. episode in season four? I don't no, think that's there is. Season, that's season two. Season two. Okay. We did that one. It also sucked. That one did suck. I just... I want a more season four seller. Because the Vulcan stuff was great. You know the they Vulcan wanted stuff, to do that... I maintain that the um, Forge like Vulcan arc from season four is like one of the best arcs in Star Trek. It's so good. Like, so it has everything. They were going to do that the whole season. It built, sorry? They were going to do that arc as the whole of season four. That would have been so good. If they hadn't, I mean, basically, that was the plan until basically the right was told that they're basically going to cancel the show, so do what you can. And, like, I would have been so interested to see the, like, how we got from, like, where we are at um, Shadows of the Gem to... The Federation. That well, would that have was been the plan like, for the rest of Enterprise, and then they canceled it. I know. <laughs> That's why it was the good stuff. They were gonna, the Federation you know, 100 years is so good because it like, fills those gaps. Yeah, Federation 150. You know what else fills gaps? The Edge of Midnight, available on, at Edge of Midnight on WordPress.com. And if you just email me, I'll send you a link. I'm editing that all out. How dare you? <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I'm writing more now. Lorel, girl boss war criminal. <laughs> anyway. um, should we address the elephant in the room, which is that even though we all have spent the last hour talking about how Malcolm Reed sucks, he's the most popular character from Star Trek fan fiction. Is, People. I is, a joke? is this a joke? Well, no, for Star Trek Enterprise, I should clarify. For Star Trek Enterprise fan no. fiction, he's the most popular but, character. But that Gonna makes be... sense because if you're if you're selling a blank canvas, then that's what, what are you going to do? But improve on that. Jennifer, that makes is complete sense. But that's not true about... for like any of the other uh, ones. Like it's not like. Is there no the... Travis fan fiction? Oh no, hardly any. It's like five percent. <laughs> Okay, but he was so irrelevant that it wasn't even a canvas. He was also so black, and we know what fandoms do with black people. Oh, it's true though. Sad. Is it by the, by the way, Jennifer? Is this a segue for you to read? You know what? It <laughs> can be. It doesn't have to be. If you have some other points you'd like to bring up, you know that's no. Also I think fun. I think it's time. It's time for the it's time for the real reason we're here, which um, 
So do we tell the audience what you wrote? Um, so I would like to preface this by saying that I wrote this, I think I actually wrote it during like the first two weeks of lockdown. I could be wrong about that. Um, but I had smoked a lot of weed and I was in a fugue state. And one of my very dear friends was watching Enterprise for the first time. And they were talking to me about being like, I don't get it. Like, because they had gone on to um, AO3, I believe, and been like, why is there so much Malcolm Reed fan fiction? Like, over half of all fan fiction written about Star Trek Enterprise includes Malcolm in the pairing. And they're like, they're so boring. Like, do they get interesting later? Like, is there like some sort of like, twist or character development that I'm missing and I'm like no you're right it's it's wild how this is uh true and so then I decided to write a uh brief academic uh study of why that might be it's um so I decided to write an essay uh titled why do we want Malcolm to Mal come uh by Genevieve Duke Space Fine um, so this is the abstract. Um, and I will say this does need editing. I, I'm going to be honest about that. Um, <laughs> nearly 20 years after Star Trek Enterprise first premiered in 2001, a clear trend has emerged of wanting to see Armory Officer Lieutenant Malcolm Reed fuck. Through genre and uh, ship pairing, though genre and ship pairing vary, the data shows an indisputable pattern of writing and consuming stories of Malcolm Reed fucking every, nearly every member of the crew in thousands of fics many hundreds of thousands of words long. All this, despite Malcolm being objectively one of the most boring characters Trek has ever created with an abrasive and often offensive demeanor. In this essay, we try to reconcile these facts to understand why we as a fandom want to see Malcolm fuck. The essay begins. Star Trek Enterprise ran from 2001 to 2005 as the sixth show in the Star Trek universe. Set as a prequel to the original series, it takes place in the 2150s and is largely remembered as the, quote, horniest Trek by many of its fans. From the scenes of crew members in their underwear to Mpreg, the infamous, uh, to the infamous de uh, decontamination gel, Enterprise lives up to its reputation. Therefore, we are forced to ask the question, if Enterprise is the horniest Trek, who are we horniest for? First glance gives us several candidates, from T'Pol in her skin-tight cat suits at least in seasons one and two, and Archer to his very impressive for a white man ass that simply won't quit, yet the facts and numbers point to an unlikely answer, Armory Officer Lieutenant Malcolm Reed. A quick search of popular fansite archive of our own, AO3, will show that within the, as of April 2020, ah, oh, we found a date, April 2020, 4,777 works in the Star Trek Enterprise tag. 2,480 of those entries include Armory Officer Lieutenant Malcolm Reed. Should be noted, however, that these fics uh, include Reed as a character, but do not have him as the focus. Uh, however, Reed is tagged in more fics than any other Enterprise character, including Charles Trip Tucker at 2,480, jo Captain Jonathan Archer in 181, sorry, 1,881, or Tapal at 10,000, uh, sorry, 1,040. He's in more fics than Tapal. Tapal is only in. Uh, a quarter of the fix. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, additionally, Reed dominates the top-rated relationship combinations or ships for the show, with four out of the top ten ships involving him, including top two slots, Malcolm Reed slash Trip, uh, with 10, uh, 1,070, and Malcolm Reed slash Jonathan Archer at 513. 
These two ships top even Charles Tip Tucker slash Chapal with at a 489, who are only uh, who are the only ship in the top 10 to have any kind of on-screen confirmation. While we can use these numbers to establish that yes, we as a culture want to see Malcolm Reed fuck, the question that remains is why. In this essay, we will try to answer that question by providing a number of theories from academia as well as these authors' personal experience in Trek and fan fiction culture. Um, so part one, uh, I've titled The English Factor. Oh yeah, um, here we go. Here we fucking go. The greatest tragedy of it all. Um, Americans, and particularly American women, seemingly love an accent from across the pond. According to the 2014 poll conducted by YouGov, 35% of Americans and 39% of American women find a British accent attractive. Lynn Murphy, in her book, The Prodigal Ton, the love-hate relationship between American and British English posits that our attraction to the British accent specifically is due to the fact that we see, uh, are attracted to things that are other or exotic, but not too exotic. Sorted. This relates to Malcolm's characterization on the show as the ship's foreign representative, mirroring Chekhov from the original series, himself added to the show to be the teen heartthrob that captured the young female fan base of the series. According to Murphy, the British accent sits in that sweet spot of being familiar enough to not be intimidating but still different enough to be exciting. Additionally, many Americans associate the British with education, wealth, and elevated class, all of which further our attraction to see those who hail from the British Isles. But not all accents are created equal, with some being ranked as more attractive than others. Reed's actor Dominic Keating seems to realize this, for although he raised in Leicester, is that how you pronounce that? No. Leicester. <laughs> Leicester. <laughs> Uh, in a 2013 interview with Trekcore, Keating stated he went for a slightly more clipped Salford. Correct? Salford, Salford London. Salford, Manchester? Salford slash London accent is what he said. Uh, this Salford, is, no is that Southwood, he said? Yeah, Salford. S A L F O R D. Isn't that in Manchester? Yes. Oh, it's a How can it be Manchester, Manchester, London? Oh, I guess it can. <laughs> Uh, this is notable because according to a survey by the Manchester Nightly News, uh, whatever the one you said before, accent ranks near the bottom at 38, while London accents sit at 2 and 5 respectively for uh, London and Salford. Uh, Keaton even states that the producers of Enterprise asked him to, quote, lay it on thick, suggesting they were aware of the British accent's appeal for a mainly American audience. Support for this assertion is seen in perhaps the most famous Star Trek character with a British accent, Jean-Luc Picard is played by Patrick Stewart. Again, using AO3 as a metric, the, member, the numbers support our hypothesis. Picard is involved in three of the top 10 ships, including the top spot of Jean-Luc Picard slash Beverly Crusher at 777, with over twice as many entries as the next most popular ship, Data uh, slash Geordi LaForge uh, at 326. It is possible that some of this can be explained by the fact that fan fiction writing is dominated by women uh, who desire uh, a self-insert in Beverly Crusher, and she and Crusher do have several on-screen uh, romantic moments. Considering that Patrick Stewart is, was in his 50s and balding, and that Data and Geordi is an inherently more interesting ship, it's possible that his royal British accent helps cement him as the character writers wanted to see, uh, wanted to see fuck the most. Despite the accent, uh, Picard is French, not British, much to the confusion of France. With Malcolm, however, the writers never fail to remind us that Reed is capital B British. Having, uh, from having a father be disappointed that he didn't join the Royal Navy, constantly complaining about the brash American habits of his crewmates, he even goes as far as to bemoan the fact that first contact happened in the godforsaken place like Montana, rather than a proper place like Europe. 
the highlight of Reed's British identity helps feed into the fantasy of the quote, hot British boy TM and no doubt played a large part of his appeal. So now we're gonna move on to uh, part two, queer coding, which we already did touch on. Uh, back in 2001, before the premiere of Star Trek Enterprise, many rumors about the character of Malcolm Reed began, con uh, began concerning his sexuality. Even Kate Mulgrew hinted that although Voyager had neglected to give her Jerry Ryan a sapphic arc, she was hopeful that Enterprise would include Star Trek's first openly gay character. However, when the series premiered, it became clear that a certain homophobic executive producer had prevented this from happening. Despite this, uh, despite this, actor Dominic Keaton has confirmed that he saw the character as queer, stating in a 2007 interview when asked about Reed's romantic life that, quote, God knows that I played him gay. Star Trek has a tradition of actors confirming that they always saw characters they played as LGBTQ, from Jonathan Frakes and John Bingsley saying they had canon Will Riker and Dr. Fox as bisexual, to Andy Robertson saying he wanted to pounce on Alexander Siddig like a lion on a gazelle. Many viewers picked up on this coding as well, adding their own headcanons. Michael Zimmerman, in an article for Women at Warp, says she saw herself in the character viewing Reed as closeted, in part to help reconcile the show's writing of Reed as a womanizer. It seems so much at odds with how he was uh, playing, stating, Malcolm was meant to be closeted. Some of his behavior on the series makes a little more sense. Hiding your identity from your loved ones and peers does irreparable damage to your sense of self, and you have a tendency to lash out at anyone. This reading of Reed allows writers to explore their own coming out stories through Reed. In the previous section, we discussed how the female majority of writers in fan fiction helped account for their choice in story. Here, writers can treat Reed as a self-insert character they, as they use to explore their own experiences. The prevalence of LGBTQ writers in the fan fiction community and the long history of slash fan fiction can therefore help explain at least part of our collective desire to see Reed fuck. Part three. Uh, you can tell where the weed really starts to kick in and I get less and less uh, into finding sources. Uh, part three is just called Daddy Issues. Uh, okay, let's get this over with. Malcolm Reed has big time daddy issues. His dad is disappointed in him because he joined the crummy American Starfleet instead of the goddamn Royal Navy, which of all things to hate your son for. He's even still in the military. In fact, as far as honor or whatever, he's objectively going for to see more battle in Starfleet than her royal gratitude royal goddamn Navy. Speaking of which, how the hell is there still Royal Navy? After the UN eugenics wars, geographical borders were completely redrawn and militaries across the world disbanded. They mentioned this several times on Enterprise that they have achieved world peace. You're telling me that not only does the monarchy survive World War III, but it also maintains a fucking Navy? And that Navy is so important that Malcolm's father is legitimately angry with his son for not joining. Yeah, okay, Star Trek. Oh, and it's because he's afraid of water. He wasn't even a cool, rebellious reason. That man just fears the ocean. <laughs> Besides the Navy, Malcolm has obviously never been hugged in his life. His father probably gave him school supplies and socks for Christmas. Malcolm probably asked for socks. He admits that before Enterprise, he literally never felt a connection with another human being, including his family. He's a damaged, broken man, and we must fix it. And part of fixing him is seeing him be emotionally vulnerable with a strong, handsome man, and then fuck that man. Uh, part four... It's just called pineapple juice. Um, okay, this is a stretch, but in season one, episode 12, Silent Enemy, we learned that Malcolm loves pineapple so goddamn much that he takes medication just to be able to eat it without getting an allergic reaction. According to urban legend and men's health, pineapple and pineapple juice makes, makes one's semen taste more pleasant. It is possible that the knowledge that uh, pineapple was Malcolm's favorite food encouraged us to see him as a more viable sexual partner and thus made us more likely to write about how well he fucks. Uh, part five, the Kiki loves the Boba. Uh, one of the most popular ship dynamics of all time is, of course, the grumpy one is the soft of the sunshine one. 
On Enterprise, there's a, an abundance of Sunshine characters, including Archer, Trip, Travis, Fox, and Hoshi, with only two grumpy characters, to Paul and Malcolm. For this reason, if you enjoy this dynamic and want to write a fic, Malcolm makes the most sense as a good two, particularly if you are looking for a male in the pairing. The fact that he is not Malcolm also makes him have a more range in romantic fic, fic making it easier to him to fuck than to Paul. Uh, part five, the boy is repressed. Uh, and this is where it all comes together, folks. As we know, there's nothing hotter than a fictional man who is repressed. As Angelina Jolie eloquently puts it in a 1999 Daily Show interview about the OG repressed boy, Tushin Chagas Uh, he was so repressed and I just wanted to make him scream. Malcolm, being a triple threat of a queer-quoted British man with daddy issues, presents writers with the perfect opportunity to write a repressed character who then comes out of his shell, prefer preferably by fucking. Conclusion. Malcolm Reed is an average-looking but fairly mas muscular man with an accent that makes him seem simultaneously erotic yet upper class. He is a broken man we are dying to fix through a passionate love affair with his fellow officer in the tight military quarters of a ship. Lieutenant Malcolm Reed is searching for a father figure and he will not share a single feeling until he gets one and then is pegged by that father figure and will not rest until we bring it uh, forth into the world. Uh, and that is an essay that I wrote about why there is a abundance of Malcolm Reed fan fiction. Any questions? Olivia, you gonna clap? I am in awe of what I heard. I didn't know when to interject, but the pineapple thing has sort of broke me. <laughs> you can tell that's where the essay broke me, so. There's a point in the essay where the weed hit you, and then there's a point in the essay where the essay hit you. <laughs> wow, so true. There's a point in the essay where you were writing an essay about, making Mal about Malcolm Fadfic. Oh, well. I just wanted to make sure I hit all angles, you know? What a time to be alive. Truly. 2002, oh, yeah. I would not, I mean, it was a time to be alive. Wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, that's some. Um, 2002? That was our episode, everyone. And um, if you'd like to find us, we are at Quit Star Trek Pod or at iQuitStarTrek at gmail.com. Genevieve, where can the people find you? Um, if you're basic, you can follow me at thisismewhatevs at twitter.com. If you're cool and hot, uh, you can follow me at Star Trek Heathen on the twitter.com. Excellent. Um, and I will remind people now that um, we have a tea public store uh please go look for i quit star trek on t public and buy our shirts all the proceeds go to the Trevor project and once again if you would like a special triplets shirt with the triplets on them send us a receipt to a donation to the Trevor project and i can send it to you because i can't sell those legally but i can just give you to them as gifts in exchange for a charitable donation so this is an ongoing this That's is an so ongoing deal I think it's a special deal. Somebody, nice. a, couple, a couple of people have already set, set their seats. Yeah. But good for you guys. Uh, if you have done it, please send us a picture of your limited edition shirt. Um, it's been endorsed by many people, including Mary Wiseman, who referred to it as actually being funny. <laughs> what a great review of this podcast. I really hope that someone on our iTunes that this, this podcast is actually funny. But otherwise, yeah, um, 
Yeah, it's ten. It's ten fifty-one here, so we're um. It's time for bed for both of us. It is. Olivia's kind of there. looking despondent. You work tomorrow. Sorry, I kept you up this late. I probably would. I would have been up anyway at this time, to be honest. So end of the doom scrolling. Yeah. But yeah, thanks so much for coming on. As always, Genevieve, you'll sure, probably, thank I you suspect that me. you'll be back when I eventually do the roundtable on work and Star Trek. Hell yeah, work. brother! But um, until then, uh, don't get emotionally invested in a British twink with a military with with a fascination for military porn. Never been an issue for me. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>